Hey guys, and welcome to Hunting Land, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. If you'd like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. This week's show is brought to you by Great Days Outdoors. Great Days Outdoors Magazine guides you on hunting and fishing south of the Mason-Dixon. Become a better southern hunter and angler and pick up your copy today wherever fine magazines are sold or save online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. And also brought to you by Fatanas Defense, Masters of Darkness. Fatanas Defense is proud to offer the PD Pro line of night vision systems. The PD Pro series is the world's smallest and lightest night vision goggles. Built around the Fatana 16mm filmless 4G image intensifier tubes and their hybrid filmless 18mm image intensifier tubes. These ultralight, ultra-compact night vision systems deliver the cleanest image, best resolution, smallest, most transparent halo, and best overall performance and function of any night vision system available. The PD Pro line consists of the PD Pro M 16mm monocular, the PD Pro B 16mm binocular, and the PD Pro Q panoramic night vision system. Photonis Defense, Masters of Darkness. And also brought to you by Sun South. From outdoor equipment, parts, service, accessories, Sun South has you covered. Own the best for less. Visit SunSouth or SunSouth.com for quality John Deere equipment. Sun South for those that do. I'm your host, Joe Bio, here back with us again, Clint Flowers, co-hosting with me this week, man. Clint, how's it been going? Where you been? You've been chasing uh chasing something, I know. Yeah, Kansas last week. We were doing a little waterfowl and upland hunting, and other than that, it's just been chasing an eight-year-old around and hoping he'd let me shoot something one day. Yeah, you know, talking about chasing eight-year-olds around, I was having that discussion with a buddy of mine sent me a picture of a a 10-year-old, uh, his nephew, actually, that killed a nice deer. And I was just kind of remarking, uh, they were hunting hunting family land. It was just him and his dad. And, and that's a cool experience, you know. And I was just kind of saying, I wonder what it's like as a youth hunter to shoot something, you know, on your land and, and where it's just you and your dad or maybe you and a small group of guys versus how I grew up hunting where we were part of a big club. And you were the hero of the day, you know, when you came in and, you know, Lots of things have changed in the hunting world, some for the better, maybe some for the worse. How, how did you grow up hunting? I mean, did you have that same kind of lots of camaraderie and lots of pats on the back, or were you hunting mostly just you and your dad? Well, we started in a lease and uh, were ultimately able to buy part or that part of the lease, uh, which became our family land over time. But it started in a lease setting, and then we had a period where we were hunting with a group on a property down in the river bottom for about you know, 10 plus years and there's, you know, 15, 20 people at the camp every weekend. So it was a lot of, a lot of late night strategizing and good food and games and things like that, where it was a really fun setting. Uh, so we've really had a little bit of both. Yeah. Well, I, I know I'm interested to see how my two boys take to hunting. They're going to have a little bit of different experience than what, what I had growing up. One of the things though, that I'm excited about for them is the ability to use suppressors, uh, while they hunt. I know as a child and now even as an adult, I never enjoyed shooting high-powered rifles. It was a means to an end for me to go out and hunt. It wasn't something that, you know, I was just like, hey, man, let's go shoot two boxes of shells this weekend for fun. You know, it was more like, yep, yep guns on. All right, let's put that away until I need to use it again to kill something. That being said, since I've been able to shoot suppressed, that's totally changed for me. It's a lot of fun now to go out 
shoot high powered rifles, practice, shoot, shoot steel and do things that I never really enjoyed doing. And I'm excited to bring them into that world and, and give them the opportunity to, to shoot suppress. So looks like uh, wait times for suppressors are about to go down significantly. In today's show, we're going to be learning why with Brandon Maddox. He's the CEO of Silencer Central. But before we do that, we're going to give you guys another Timber Market update with Timber Mart South. Joining us today is Jonathan Smith, the Executive Director of Timber Mart South for this week's current Timber Market Prices Update. In this week's segment, we're going to be looking at timber prices for the state of Virginia. Jonathan, welcome back to Hunting Land. What's been happening in Virginia and what time frame are we going to be getting our prices from today? Well, good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, today, we're looking at the third quarter 2021 Timber Mart South price reports for Virginia. All right. Before we get into the specific prices, uh, we've got new listeners, you know, checking in with us really every every week. We've got new folks listening to the show. I know when I'm out in the marketplace, when I'm talking to people that are interested in land, I'm meeting people that are new to land. I mean, just the other day, in fact, I was having a conversation with my wife about the different product classes that we're going to give prices for. So before we get into those prices, take everybody through what we're talking about when we say pine pulp wood, pine chip and saw, pine saw timber, what, what these things are and how they're used. Maybe kind of start out with pulp wood and work your way up to the bigger trees. Sure, I'll be glad to do that. Uh, I'll try not to get lost with specs. I'll leave that to uh, the buyers and the sellers. But uh, if you think about it, pine pulp wood, you know, that's your uh smaller or lower quality tree it doesn't necessarily have to be smaller but it it doesn't have the form that you need to cut straight lumber or, or products out of and what they do with that is they they chip that uh, log up into chips or wafers depending on whether it's a uh, pulp mill or if it's a, a osb mill uh, and then they will take those chips and cook them to make paper and paper products that we all use, or they will uh, use those wafers that they cut out to uh, orient those, and they'll make a product that we're all familiar with, oriented strand board, OSB. So that's your basic, your smaller, lower quality pine pulp wood, uh, same process for hardwood pulp wood. If you look at your pine chip and saw uh, size class, so that's the, if you're strictly going from smallest to largest, that's your neck size up, your intermediate size uh, log, if you will. The mills here are looking to, they're wanting to cut two by fours, two by sixes, sometimes two by eights out of those. So if you think about what those look like at your local hardware store and you're not looking at really large logs to get those products out just for sake of saying it because i had to learn it in school but the chip and saw that's because they chip up uh, what's left over and they they kind of got into that marketplace to uh, sell those chips into the pulp market but uh it's become a good intermediate size product in between pulpwood and salt timber. Your pine salt timber, uh, again, specs change in between chip and saw and salt timber, but just think of your, your larger 
higher quality uh, logs so that they can get longer, straighter, bigger diameter boards out of them. So this is where your tuba eights, tuba tens are coming from. And so uh, again, that's also where you get your price increase there because they're needing a higher value log to get that bigger uh, dimension lumber out of. And then finally, your mixed hardwood salt timber. In our case, that is truly a mixed load of uh, all of your hardwoods. So that can be gum, poplar, oak, uh, any of those all mixed into one load. Um, so we're not differentiating between higher quality oaks or anything like that. That's a mixed load. Or a lot of that roundwood is being cut up into uh, some hardwood lumber, uh, but also your cross ties and some of your industrial lumber that goes into industrial mats and uh, pallets and that kind of stuff. So uh, that's kind of what's driving that hardwood salt timber market. You know, and the other thing I always hear, you know, guys talking about is, is poles, you know, poles and veneer. So like Clint, in your experience, are people specifically managing for those products uh, on their land when they're growing the trees in the first place? Or is this something that they're, they're pulling out out of, out of a, a, a harvest where they may have, hey, this is salt timber, but this is a good pole. I mean, how does that really work if you're wanting to focus on producing the, the best part of that market? Well, in our region, you know, the pole specs ebb and flow with the demand for them. So what isn't a pole today may be a pole next week, just depending on how bad the market needs it. But poles in general are a, a dividend of, of good management. So if you're aiming for grade salt timber, um, you're typically going to have a, and you do a good job uh, and you've got good genetics, good stock, everything else. And you're typically going to have a percentage of that stand that's going to be poles, uh, depending on where the market is for poles. So you usually have to get a pole buyer in to take a look at the stand. They'll mark their own poles. You know, they may work directly with your forester and try to help keep a closer eye on that, get as many of them in as you can. We all want to grow 100% poles, but uh, Les Jonathan's got a new method. I haven't found a way to do that yet. Yeah. You know, I save, save that for another podcast. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but, and only we get to listen to. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so that's what we're shooting for. You're, you know, the highest grade possible. Now, some of these companies, you know, like Warehouser and others, they have shorter rotations, you know, so they're not looking to grow poles. They're usually trying to get into a certain diameter or product class. And, and so they may have only carry a standout 20 years uh, where you or I are going to be looking at, you know, high 20s into the mid 30s. And sometimes you fall in love with the stand of timber and you'll grow it out further than that uh, just because it's pretty. So, you know, it just, it all comes down to your goals and your methods to as far as what you end up with. Yeah. Well, you talk about growing them out, you know, because they're pretty and it's definitely a hard decision to make. Uh, if you want to, if you want to disrupt those aesthetics to capitalize on good markets and yeah, that's really what we, we want to talk about today, Jonathan. So tell me about timber prices in Virginia. We're starting to see some spot markets, uh, you know, in parts of the country where we're seeing, you know, really high, uh, pulpwood prices and things of that nature. Is that extending into Virginia or what's going on there with uh, different products? Virginia uh, had a pretty good quarter uh, there. Uh, I'll just give you the prices there. Pine saw timber was uh, $21.33. Uh, pine shipping saw at $19.89 and pine pulpwood at eleven twenty-eight. 
Uh, hardwood salt timber was at 36.15, and hardwood pulpwood was at 8.55 for state level averages uh, for third quarter 21. Those are pretty flat compared to quarter over quarter, uh, where you start seeing a little bit of increases uh, year over year. Your hardwood products uh, jumped up about 20% there, and whereas your pine products were under 5% increase year over year. So, you know, it's pretty flat, but you can you can see some influence of uh, wet weather, and, and Virginia did have uh, some of those storms that moved through. They moved all the way up the East Coast. So the South, uh, it's been a long time since I've seen it this way, but when we reported the weather this quarter, uh, just about our whole footprint was – dark green for uh, wet weather. So you can definitely see some influence there. You know, you're talking about wet weather. That's one of those market indicators. In a Timber Mart South subscription, what other kind of market indicators do you guys report on uh, that might lead to being able to see some of these increases or uh, like we're talking about with the hardwood markets there in Virginia? What are you guys looking at uh, in each area that can help people get a feel for what's going on in the market? Uh, well, each each quarter we report on uh, pulp prices, lumber prices, housing starts. Uh, you know, we, we try to track a lot of your macro economic indicators there so you can see how the overall economy is doing and how it trickles down into the uh, – finished products that uh, we feed into into those places. So uh, we, we do work hard to try to get as much of that information as we can, but keep it concise so that we're not, uh, so you don't get lost in the weeds, so to speak. Right. Well, I mean, talking about wet weather, is there anything else going on uh, in Virginia that would lead us to believe we're going to continue to see an increase or, or what's, your, uh, what's your crystal ball telling you? Florida, I mean, not, not Florida, Virginia was uh, pretty quiet. Uh, they uh, just took some regular downtime. They do have a few uh, expansions that have been announced, uh, but, uh, you know, they're really small. There's a hardwood sawmill that uh, wood grain uh, in Grayson, Virginia, that announced uh, an acquisition and an expansion. Uh, and then in Viva, if you're, if you're keeping up with the pellet market, uh, Viva has been making a lot of noise and uh, they're, they're doing an expansion at their Franklin Hill in Southampton. So they, there are some, there is some activity there, uh, but it's mainly on the hardwood side of things. Well, Jonathan, thanks for giving us the, uh, the update again this month. If folks want to check out a subscription from Timbermark South, stay up to date on everything we're talking about here, prices, all these trends. Uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Probably the easiest way for them to uh, find us is through the website, uh, www.timbermark-south.com. Feel free to reach out to us. We'll be glad to get you set up with a subscription. And uh, but as always, I try to point back to the local market. And uh, so a local consultant is probably going to be the best person to give you some advice on management of your timber and when to make that final decision of when to harvest. But feel free to look us up. 
All right. Well, this week's current timber market update has been brought to you by First South Farm Credit. First South can help you finance or refinance that perfect piece of land. To find out how First South can help you, visit their website at firstsouthland.com or call them at 800-955-1722. They are an equal housing lender. And also brought to you by Boaters List. Boaters List is your new reliable and fast resource designed to link everyone to everything on the water. If you run a boat, you know how difficult it can be to find the right company for the task at hand. Boaters List makes this easy and easy to find the service you are looking for. Locate anything from fuel docks to service repairs or rentals of large yachts all the way down to paddle boards and all things in between. BoatersList.com will always strive to make it better on the water. All right, Clint, the big news in the world of suppressors right now is that it looks like uh, wait times for suppressors are about to go down significantly. In today's show, we're going to be learning why and how you can take advantage of those changes with Brandon Maddox. He's the CEO of Silencer Central. So Brandon, welcome to Hunting Land. Bef- you know, before we jump into the big changes and suppressors happening right now, tell us a little bit about your background with Silencer Central and a little bit too about how you guys are staying involved in all this regulation change and, and everything that's going on. Yeah, good question. So uh, thanks again for having us or having me excited yeah, about yeah. the opportunity to talk to your audience. The God's honest truth is I bought a, a suppressor personally for varmint hunting. I like to shoot prairie dogs and the experience of the purchasing locally was horrible. And it got to the point where my wife has uh, all of her uh, siblings are dentists. So they have a little extra disposable income. So I said, I think I'm going to get my own license and get into this and then help supply your brothers. And we'll just have a, you know, a group of four or five of us to get some suppressors a little bit easier because I'll figure out how to do it better than it's being done locally. But you know, that's how it sort of started. But, you know, to sort of your question about how do we get involved? How do we understand what's going on? How to understand the marketplace? You know, back in 2005, when we started, I used to say that everything you read online about class three silencer suppressors was inaccurate. And at the time, that was very true. The hard part for us is being based in South Dakota, our federal agencies over us were based in St. Paul and Minnesota. And at that time, silencers were not legal in Minnesota. So when I would call over to Minnesota and ask them how to do something, a lot of times they weren't honestly a whole lot of help. So what we did is we worked with NSSF that, uh, you know, puts on SHOT Show. We hired one of their consultants that was retired ATF. And we basically sat down with him for two days to do a full audit on us and sort of, he helped us understand the marketplace better, helped us understand what we need to read, help us understand what we need to know. And now we go to any compliance event where the ATF is presenting. Uh, We sit on the front row, we ask a lot of questions and take a lot of notes. So, you know, basically started in one state, the great state of South Dakota. We only worked events. So basically just gun shows. Um, and as we worked gun shows throughout the state, you would pe- see people from other states. So obviously, if you if you have a customer from North Dakota, we can't sell to them directly unless we have a license there. It's very similar to a handgun. You can only buy from a dealer that's licensed in the same state where you're a legal resident. So that, that just started the, you know, we got a license up in North Dakota. We started selling them there. Then we go to the oil field shows up in North Dakota and you got a lot of Montana guys there. So then we got a Montana license. And then we'd work Southern South Dakota and you start seeing people from Nebraska. And then they became legal in Iowa and then Minnesota. So we just started out with sort 
sort of a ring around South Dakota going to events. And then we sort of expanded to now we're in all 42 states where silencers are legal. And it's important to realize that you have to follow state law and federal law. So we have legal counsel that helps make sure that we're complying with the state law requirements with firearms and suppressors specifically, and then also federally. And I think I, you know, I probably mentioned in the past, I'm a pharmacist, so I'm kind of used to that mindset of making sure you're following state law where you're licensed, but also federal law, you know, that kind of oversees all of it. So that, that's just kind of been our experience pretty much strictly in a dealer role. And then um, our whole mission has been, how do we make the process easier for customers? And in that, it's just continue to expand because we do find that's the biggest obstacle is the buying process. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. Uh, seems like every year. Uh, we get into hunting season and I get to shoot with somebody who hasn't shot suppressed before and they shoot suppressed and it's like their eyes are wide and they're having more fun and they're more relaxed and they're shooting better. And by the end, by the time we get done sh- shooting, they're like, man, I want, I got to get one of these things, you know? And then they're like, what, what does it, what does it take to buy one? And you know, and I've kind of walked them through like, okay, well, there's, there's different, different steps and it's going to, it's going to take a while to get it. And I think that that's like the biggest non-starter. You got these guys that they're going, well, so you're telling me to get one of these by next hunting season, I need to be doing it right now in this hunting season. So why is it so dang slow, Brandon? Yeah, good question. So um, oddly enough, when I first started doing this, it was two weeks is all it took to get an approval just because they're, they weren't that popular. No one was buying them. So, you know, back then they had 12 examiners and you'd send it to them. They'd open it up. And back then a trust, there was no background check. So they would just approve it and send it right back to us. Really now the bottleneck is just the, uh, the number of applications, you know, last year, there was about six, six to 700,000 uh, suppressor silencers that were registered with the ATF as an item that was manufactured and then put on a form for to transfer to an end user. And I think the last time I heard, they have about 40 employees that do that transfer. So the bottleneck really is just the headcount to move the paperwork through the process. They did a time motion study at ATF at the NFA branch up in West Virginia. And when they presented it to us, I think the number was 42 times is how many times they touched the paperwork from when it leaves our headquarters in South Dakota till it's approved back in the mail to us. So just the number of times it's being touched and the number of people, you know, now we mail it to Oregon, they cash the check, then it goes to NFA branch of West Virginia, then the background check sent digitally to FBI. You know, there's so many different moving parts. And just with that, you know, six to 700,000 coming through the office with 40 employees approving them, it's, it's just a bottleneck. I know a lot of people think that they don't want to approve them or they're intentionally holding them. Honestly, I don't get that impression. I just think that they don't have enough headcount to process them. And they've been looking forward to moving to an all digital environment that they've sort of probably hesitate hiring a lot of people to fix the, the problem. So what changes are happening that are going to speed this up? So back in 2014 and 15, there was what they called e-forms. And, you know, e-forms have been in place for really all the transactions since then for like dealer transfers, or if we do a transfer to a government agency, like uh, we sell a lot to, you know, individual law enforcement or even game fish and parks, and those are done on a, a form five. But the form four is what is done to an individual from a dealer to an individual. In 2014 and 15, they were digitally. And the process was significantly, you know, more expeditious. You know, it it went down to like a 60-day transfer, but then that system crashed. They just weren't able to maintain the volume on a digital level. So they pulled the Form 4s off of the digital process in 2015, but they left all the other forms on there. And so 
I got an email late last night that they're moving the date to December 23rd, uh, 5 a.m. Uh, Central Standard Time, our time, to make eForms go live again. So we've been a part of the beta testing for about eight months now, and it's essentially the same interface they had in 2015, but they've fixed sort of the databases that are connected and the you know, the, it's, it's been made where it could be scalable. So they're highly confident it can handle, you know, a million plus transactions a year. So again, they're, the data suggests that it's going to be a 60-day turnaround. And then if it gets up to a 90-day turnaround with the e-forms, they're going to staff to 90 days. So the feedback they gave us is that if the process takes longer than 90 days in the digital process, they'll hire more folks to try to push that down to 90. So their goal is to take what currently is about a 10 to a 12-month process and shift that down to 60 to 90 days. And that goes live like in two days. So it's a big deal. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Just because usually, like you were talking about earlier, you know, once you decide you want something, you want it. You know, you want oh, yeah. it. I want to play with it now. Yeah. The thought of having to wait 10 months is a lot of times could be a non-starter. I would imagine with the people who are or have been thinking about getting a suppressor, if they know that this change is coming, I mean, like if I was in this situation, if I was maybe say was going to buy over the last month and was thinking about buying, I'm probably going to go, well, I'm just going to wait till the e-forms come out and hold off on making my purchase and do it on December 23rd or, you know, thereafter. Is that happened? I mean, do you think we're going to see like this flood of people that, that could create a bottleneck just in and of itself? Here at Silencer Central, we decided that about a month ago, we sort of gave the customer the choice. Hey, do you want us to submit it paper-wise or do you want us to submit it digitally? And really there's like a hundred percent rate of folks saying, Hey, Let's just wait for the digital process. So we have thousands kind of in our hopper, if you will. You know, from a from a process standpoint here at Sanguinter Central, we route everything in our system digitally and then we print it before we mail it to um, the NFA branch. So now we're just leaving it in our system digitally and then we'll be able to send it digitally to the NFA branch for processing. So to your question, I suspect there are people out there waiting. I got some friends that said, hey, I got a buddy in Arizona and he's going to go out the store and wait out front until the e-forms go live and wait in line and try to get one processed. Um, you know, we just figured why not go ahead and kind of mentally convert to an all digital process and, and have it ready so that when it goes live, we can execute it. But my theory is that the market is not going to really flood with demand until some people start posting on social media where they have a tax stamp that got approved in a week or two weeks or 30 days. Because my assumption is there's no like work in progress in, in front of these. So whatever we submit on the 23rd, there's going to be nothing in front of them. So I anticipate they'll get approved very rapidly. And once people start posting out on social media that, you know, they submitted on the 23rd and got approved on the 27th, it's going to create a lot of hysteria of, wow, that's quick. You know, the hard part though is I notice a lot of websites are out of inventory. We've been building inventory for a year knowing this was coming. So although the, the I've made the bank nervous and my wife nervous, borrowing a lot of money to stock the shelves. Um, I think we're sitting on about $70 million worth of silencers here in our warehouse. So uh, we're, we're 100% ready. So um, I think that you're going to see the rest of the market might struggle because with the whole pandemic and the social unrest and just firearms in general demand, the silencer market demand has been high as well. So a lot of people just looking at wholesaler levels have had a hard time keeping the wholesaler stocked with silencer inventory. So um, I'm in hopes that, you know, obviously Silencer Central is in a good position where our shelves are full. And as people are looking, you know, there, there's fewer options out there. Hopefully that's that's our spin on it or hope. The biggest obstacle for folks, obviously, like you said, is the wait time and the paperwork. We take the burden of the paperwork onto us to manage it. But I agree, the wait time now, if the ATF can fix that, that's a huge win. Brandon, for me, 
I mean, this is something I've always wanted. You know, I'm, I shoot a 30 out six primarily. My son's a 243. My dad's a 25-06. My dad and I, of course, both want one. My son doesn't know he wants one yet until he gets it, and then he's going to love it. Totally. You know, the, the paperwork has just always been this daunting thing in the process and all that, and I know this is going to get easier. You know, so I, I'm always stuck in this limbo of having to, you know, deal with that versus trying to pick the right one for us, which is going to be more versatile. I mean, can you shed some light on on really streamlining that for us? You know, the the e-forms, I would say, don't they don't necessarily make it easier for the customer per se in our world because we do all of it for you. But, you know, I think the biggest question for most folks in buying a suppressor is, you know, what like what does the process look like? What is it? You know, what am I really subjecting myself to? How much of a burden is it putting on me? Typically, the best way for us is customer just call Silencer Central. We have a full team of, you know, sales guys that hunt, shoot all day long, and they're, they're going to help you figure out, you know, what's best for you. Based on the, the caliber list you gave me, we would recommend, like, say, a Banish 30, and that 30 caliber is going to work on, you know, 30s and less. So it's going to work on your Magnum rounds and everything less than. But, you know, once we would identify the product that you wanted, and also ours are 100% titanium, which a lot of people like for hunting. It just doesn't add that much weight to the end of the barrel. But thinking about the process specifically, um, we're going to create a free gun trust for you. We just find that's the best way to acquire a suppressor. It's going to help you allow your sons to use it. So we would set up the trust in your name initially. And then once it's approved, our staff can add anyone you want that's 18 or older and that can lawfully you know, possess a firearm. But we'll set up the trust for you over the phone and just, you know, we just get some basic data. You know, we'll get the information we need for your fingerprints. We'll actually mail you a fingerprint card, send you a little thing of ink, and we have a video you can watch, do your own fingerprints on your couch. I know it's sounds complicated, but I always say it's easy because I never see hear any complaints or someone say they couldn't figure it out. You know, you take a selfie of yourself, you upload it to us. We we have a team of editors that edit your photo to make sure it's that two by two quality. Oh, I thought you were talking about like some airbrush. Clint's going to need a lot of editing. No, Joe's no, no. <laughs> really good at selfies and, and I've got a white sofa, so I'm pretty sure my wife's not going to let me do the fingerprints on that. <laughs> yeah. So basically, we're going to send you all the paperwork digitally. You're just going to sign it, DocuSign, send it back to us. Basically simplifies the process. The approval comes back to us in South Dakota, and then we actually mail the suppressor to your front door. So we'll mail it from us to our location in the state where you live, and then from there to your front door. So Silencer Central is licensed in all 42 states where they're legal, which is great for when we work events. Pretty much anyone that comes up to the booth that wants to buy one in a state where they're legal, we can take care of everything for them. So what I'm hearing you say is like, we can go online right now, just like we go on Amazon and pretty much get a suppressor ordered. And then you're going to have somebody that's going to walk me through that process, hold my hand so that I don't have to get a, a law degree to figure out how to get myself a suppressor. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, so we've been doing it since 2005 and obviously it wasn't as big of a, a demand uh, then as it is now. So we've been able to kind of scale with the demand, if you will. You know, we have 150 employees here in South Dakota, so we're in a, you know, 45,000 square foot building. You know, we got all the suppressors here on site, but the staff have, they're trained up and ready to help with any questions you have as far as, you know, what's the right suppressor for you. You know, we, we're going to manage the the trust for you now and in the future and also all the paperwork. And yeah, we're going we're gonna to take care of everything for you. I mean, we do find that, you know, customers are more interested in opening their wallet when you basically make it turnkey for them. Yeah. Yeah. Make it easy. And like I said, you know, 
like Clint said, I've heard that from many, many hunters. There's, there's not many guys out there that wouldn't like for their rifle to make less noise for lots of different reasons, but that's the reason they don't do it. It's, it's once they shoot, they see the light, but Boy. it's that, it's that paperwork burden. That's really cool. I, I, I like your story about the fact that your, your pharmacy background having to deal with, you were used to dealing with regulation. So you were bred for this really <laughs> to make this process easier. Yeah, no, totally. So I used to, when I first moved to South Dakota, my from here, I managed the mail order pharmacy and a similar business model. We had, uh, we were filling medication under, you know, Cigna, the healthcare plan, but we, we were shipping medication to every state. So we were licensed here and in that state. And then we had pharmacists on staff that were licensed in the state we were shipping them. So very analogous, you know, I meet with the ATF a fair amount, maybe more than I would like to. And when I do, I think that there's a mutual respect there that they realize that, you know, our goal is to make sure we're complying with state, local, federal laws. And when we talk to them, it's usually like, hey, help us understand. We don't want to do anything wrong. We don't want to put our customers or our employees in any kind of gray area. Help us figure out the right way to do it, which has made life tougher on us. I know that some people out there are like, well, let's not, let's not ask and let them tell us if we're doing something wrong. And we've just always taken the approach of let's just be upfront. We have too big of a volume to be doing something wrong at a high level. It's how do we fix it and how do we get it right? And, and the honest feedback is I do find the ATF to be receptive to that. Hey, I want to make sure I do it right. What do I need to do? And I find them to be very receptive to, well, let's help you figure it out. Or, you know, sometimes they might say put it in writing or, and then they respond more formally, but I do find them willing to help you make sure you do it right. Well, Brandon, I know I'm excited about this because I've enjoyed shooting suppressors more and more, and this is going to make the next one I want to buy just that much easier and I can get it sooner. Uh, so I'm excited about this, but if people want to check out your website or go online for additional resources, maybe it's, maybe it's where, maybe they're where Clint is and he's trying to decide, like you said, what, what do I really need? Or, you know, is there one suppressor that can do it all? Or do I need to get a couple? Or, or maybe they just want to see this process or, or go ahead and set the process into motion. What's the best place for them to go? Yeah, good question. So silencercentral.com obviously has a ton of information or, you know, just pick up the phone and call our staff. They're going to help walk you through. You know, the other thing that I didn't really mention that's really popular is, you know, we let people pay while they wait. There's no interest or anything. We kind of, we have this theory, we're in the boat with you. We want them approved quickly. You know, I'm spending a ton of money on insurance for all these suppressors sitting here. So we want them out of the vault as quickly as we can. So, you know, we let people pay while they're waiting, which has kind of been nice. Uh, you know, some guys are, hey, can I do a you know, hundred bucks a month for the next few months. Yeah. Whatever works for you. Uh, Cause to your point earlier, once they shoot one, uh, it's sort of like potato chips. It's hard to handle just one, yeah. you know, you end up wanting another one. And that, that's the way I was with prairie dog hunting. You know, I was like, okay, my brothers will probably come hunt with me. I better get two more. You know, it's just, once you get one, you, you do like it a whole lot better than you thought you would. And then it's easier to kind of justify, Hey, let's, let's pony up and get another one. Man, it's definitely one of those things that you you didn't know you needed it until you've used it. And then once you've used it, you don't want to do without it for sure. So very exciting stuff uh, in suppressors coming out. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. No, thanks for having us. All right, guys, let's take a quick break. Don't forget about our sponsors and make sure you support them when you're out in the marketplace. And this week's show has been brought to you by Alabama Farmers Co-op. From backyard gardening to large-scale farming and everything in between, your local co-op has what you need to be successful. Since 1936, Alabama Farmers Cooperative has provided high-quality products and friendly service to community members and local farmers. With over 60 locations to serve you and 85 years of experience, you can count on the co-op. For more information and to find a location near you, 
visit www.alafarm.com. And also brought to you by Bucks Island Marine. At Bucks Island, you can check out the full list of inventory from new and used bass, pontoon, and bow rider style boats. New and used motors as well as kayaks for sale. They love trade-ins, which provides a steady stream of used boats. They can rig your boat at their 18-bay service department or ship your new motor anywhere in the United States. They provide boat service on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. They have factory trained and certified technicians. You can visit them at 4500 Highway 77 in Southside, Alabama, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. And also, Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks are proud to be your metal roofing headquarters for over 40 years. With the addition of their new store in Cantonment, Florida, they now have eight locations to serve you. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks, your metal roofing headquarters. Clint, I know I mentioned at the beginning of the show, but to me, the, the biggest benefit of suppressors, it's just, it's fun. Just makes it more fun. Makes shooting more fun. Makes hunting better. But, you know, like when I shoot a high-powered rifle in a hunting scenario, I, I don't, I don't feel the kick. I don't notice the sound. You're so jacked up on adrenaline typically that it's not really uh, something that that's never bothered me. But like shooting my rifle, I've never enjoyed shooting my rifle. And, and this makes that fun. And it's exciting to me that these wait times are about to get cut down. Cause that's, that's always yeah. been my, my biggest, you know, I've got some suppressors, but it's always been my biggest non-starter to getting another one, you know, for a different gun or, or, uh, getting one for, you know, you off, off the air, you and I were talking, was telling you about how much fun just shooting like rimfire 22s and things like that. I mean, almost no sound whatsoever. What, what'd you take away from today? What'd you learn? Primarily this is getting a lot more streamlined and removes all the headache that, you know, stops people like me from, you know, really jumping into this boat. So as it stands right now, I've got an appointment to talk to one of their salesmen this afternoon. I'm probably going to pick up <laughs> one and maybe two. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd recommend that, you know, a lot of times folks look for, look for one to do it all, but you know, if you're shooting a 22, I'd recommend per is my personal feelings is get it, get a can that kind of matches the gun that you're shooting. And, but yeah, 30 caliber and under is great. And and then get, go ahead and pick yourself up a 22 cal. You know, you're going to want one anyway. Might as well go ahead and get it. Uh, man, I don't know about you, but inventory is hard to come by for me. We're selling things just about as quickly as we can get them on the market if they're priced accurately. You seeing the same thing? Yeah, yeah. It's the one thing that's definitely not suppressed is the land market. I mean, it's right. wide open. I mean, honestly, we're the main thing we're focused on is just building that inventory because right. we the demand is so strong right now that we're starting to be on the, the um, downward side of that to where we're selling it faster than we're bringing it to market. So, yeah, you know, if, if you're a land, yeah, a lot of, a lot of places are sold before we ever can even get them on the market. Cause we've got buyers, list. just a buyer's waiting list, you know, mm -hmm. um, we're calling people from other listings that they were unable to get. And uh, yeah, it's happening fast. What do you think holds people back? What, what's the biggest thing you think holding people back that they're thinking about selling their land? They're on the fence. Uh, concerns about replacing it. If, the, if, if they're trying to upgrade, you know, try, they're going to sell now buy a bigger one or, or buy a different one doesn't necessarily have to be bigger, but you know, we've got ways to handle that, you know, either through contract terms or going ahead and trying to have some inventory built up for them personally, you know, a few options to choose from, you know, other people are not sure that they, that we're at the apex of whatever's going on in the world. So they're, they're worried they're going to uh, leave some money on the table. And, you know, I won't say that, that it's over by any means. I think it's going to be strong for a while, especially as long as money stays cheap, but I don't see that it's going to go through, you know, some astronomical 
rise either where it just keeps going up and up and up. I, you know, I would, I would say strike while the iron's hot because we've never seen a market like this, you know, definitely not in my almost 20 years of doing this. Yeah. I mean, at some point we're going to be going, yep, it was really good. Yep. Should have sold, <laughs> you know, so, you know, some people are concerned about what's going to happen with taxes and 1031 exchanges and things like that. And I, so far, you know, that's been an unwarranted fear. You know, I hope it stays that way, you know, but it is wise to go ahead and do it while you can, you know, if you're going to cash out our capital gains rates are as low as they've been in decades. So, well, yeah. And like you said, about 1031s, I mean, for those folks that are fearful about finding that, that piece to replace it with, go ahead and find that piece now and then do your reverse 1031, you know? Yeah. I've done almost half a dozen reverses in the last few months. And so that's, when we have something that they know they want, they can go ahead and buy it and then identify what they're going to sell as opposed to identify what they're going to buy. And it just, it streamlines that process too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely a good time to be, you know, in the market for both buyers and sellers. And like we've talked about before, I, I know a lot of folks I've talked to say, hey, I'm kind of waiting to buy because, you know, this market's so high, like they're waiting for it to crash or something. I mean, Number one, you just don't, you don't really see the land market crash like you do, no. <laughs> like you do residential or we have seen residential. But the other side of it is, man, you know, I found, I found my dream place. You know, I, I bought my dream place uh, here a few months ago and that dream may change over the years. But, you know, for me, it was uh, my dream place and people are selling properties that they have otherwise not considered selling because this market's so good. So, if yeah. you're planning on hanging on to something for a long time, now might be the time to find that place that just never hardly hits the market. Yeah, it's bringing a lot of properties to market that historically have not been here and, and people not even considered selling them and, and definitely has not been on the market in decades. Uh, you know, we've sold a lot of really large tracks. You know, I sold a 6,000 acre block that hadn't been on the market and or sold in probably 40 or 50 years. Uh, we've got another one now and that's smaller tracks too. And, you know, so that's, Another thing you don't want to miss out on as a buyer is, you know, yeah, you may think this is going to crash, but like you said, land values historically don't do that. They just, their growth may slow a little bit, but they don't go down. Land values don't go down. So, you know, if something's there and you want it, you better move on it and move on it quickly because it's not going to hang around long right now. Yeah. I have seen quite a few people miss out on opportunities because they were, I would just say fiddling around, not really being serious. And you, you can't afford to do that right now. If a property is priced accurately, you better be better have your ducks in a row, be ready to move and, you know, don't play around too much at all, if at all, uh, because sellers are, you know, they know, they know what kind of market we're into. Yep. All right, man. Well, it's been good. Uh, let me know how the suppressor situation goes for you. I'm looking forward to hearing what you think folks. Hope you enjoyed this show there's anything you'd like for us to cover if you hadn't heard, definitely reach out to us. Appreciate you joining us. We want to make it easy for you to listen. So here's a handy option for you to get the podcast emailed to you each week. Just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. Again, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. You'll join our email list and wherever you are listening to podcasts, go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review send us a written review. We'd love to hear from you. If you've got a show topic that you are interested in and like to see us cover, just email us at pros at landhunting.com. That's going to do it for us. Y'all stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next time.
This week's Hunt Lamp Show is brought to you by The Hunting Exchange. Buy and sell your hunting gear securely online. PayPal protected purchases, no hidden charges, listings are free. Head over to the App Store or Google Play and download The Hunting Exchange app today. And also brought to you by MB Ranch King. Save time and money when you buy MB Ranch King's maintenance-free hunting blinds. Call Kevin for info or quotes. 205-807-2937. MB Ranch King. Built in the pursuit of perfection. And also Brush Clearing Services. Check out their full line of property and land services at brushclearingservices.com or call them at 706-718-1690. And also by Southern Seed and Feed. Do you want to provide better nutrients for your deer? Check out Southern Buck. Your deer will love it. Visit their website at southernseedfeed.com or call 662-726-2638 to find the dealer nearest you. And also brought to you by the National Deer Association. You need to have hunting land liability insurance to protect your family's assets. Find the most comprehensive coverage available at deerassociation.com and protect yourself today. 